it is overtime with Jonathan Peterman. I know it's a weird time. It's a weird time for running backs. Comparing themselves to Bugs Life characters. All sorts of wackiness. And I know it feels like I'm telling you that we have the most valuable of a thing that is declining in value in Nick Chubb. I know that. I, I understand what I'm doing. Uh, is it seems like at one point yesterday, I went on a long soliloquy about the idea that the, the, the best advantage the Browns have over any other team in the NFL is that the fact that they have Nick Chubb. We, if we are great at something, it's the running game and it's the offensive line. Those are, that's what we do best, okay? So the run game in particular, though, is what separates us out. If everyone in the AFC is going to have an awesome quarterback, that is the price of admission to being in the AFC. It's to have the big bouncer at the door open up the velvet rope and let you into the AFC club. You gotta have a really good quarterback. Everyone that's in there does. We got nine great quarterbacks in the AFC. Everyone's got one, but you got to find a way to separate yourself outside of that. And I think other NFL teams have done just that. They found their ways. They found their ways to do it. Uh, the wide receiving core for the Bengals. You can't find trios the way that they have them. There's some teams contending to try to do that. I think Seattle's one of those teams. I love Seattle's trio. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. It's really good. I mean, I, I like what they're doing over there. But the point is you got to find something that differentiates yourself from the rest of the pack. And right now, if you were to ask what that is, for the Browns, that's Nick Chubb. That's Nick Chubb. There's just no other way to put it. So it matters. But I know I'm telling you that we have the most valuable of a thing that is declining in value. It's like owning a bunch of Princess Diana beanie babies. They're still worth something, but not like when it was when you could sell those things for enough to put down a down payment on a house. Being a really good running back in 2023 isn't what it used to be. I believe Chubb still has a value to this team. My argument for a running back that isn't Chubb, McCaffrey, or Henry, or Cook, or Jacobs, or Saquon becomes a lot tougher, though. It feels kind of like playing tight end where there's a clear-cut group of about six to eight that add extreme value, and the drop-off there is real. Tight ends get paid since they can catch the football, and that adds value. If you're not McCaffrey or Eckler, though, you're not really adding much in that department. Maybe that'll be a drastic change that we see this year, but time will tell. I keep telling anybody that wants to pay attention. You know, you're not getting 800 yards like Eckler has. I don't think you're getting 1,000 yards like McCaffrey has. But maybe Nick Chubb goes from that two to 400-yard reception, receiving yard territory, to maybe, I don't know, four to 600 maybe on the higher end of 600, and turns himself into a real threat in a multitude of ways. Maybe that's got to be the reality for the running back and how they get their value. Like, straight up, if I was Austin Eckler and I was Christian McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey got paid. I'm not worried, as worried about him. He got 16. He's okay. He got paid like a, a hybrid running back receiver that he is. But if I'm Austin Eckler, I am peeved that I'm not getting paid the full money. That's the argument I have if you're a tight end. If you're a tight end like Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey is going to go down as one of the greatest tight ends of all time, and he is criminally underpaid. Dude makes $14 million a year. Christian Kirk made 20 last year. In what world is Christian Kirk worth $6 million more a year than Travis Kelsey? And you can't even say it's because they play two different positions. They don't really play two different positions. They both play, I'm going to catch as many passes from my quarterback as I possibly can. We watch the postseason. He set postseason records for catches from a tight end this last year. 
but yet he made $6 million less than Christian Kirk. Now, obviously, there's advantages to playing in Kansas City and playing with Patrick Mahomes in particular and playing on Super Bowl teams that Christian Kirk doesn't get, where Travis Kelsey is likely in that neighborhood of 20 to $25 million anyway. All the endorsement money, everything that co- accompanies that, going on SNL, what that does for your branding of yourself. like there's There's a lot that goes into that. That makes his annual value more likely to be around twenty to twenty-five million. But Christian Kirk doesn't have to do any of that extra stuff. He just gets the flat twenty. It's incredible. But with the running backs, I looked it up earlier. So weird to me. And the question I have for you, two one six four seven four to below ninety-two, is whether or not we can fix the running back money problem that's currently going on. Because if you fix the money problem, you're probably going to fix the big problem at hand. But Bijan Robinson, who's now been shouted out twice in this show already, was taken eighth overall. Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama was taken twelfth overall. From a guaranteed money standpoint, they are now the fourth and fifth highest paid backs in the league. I'm gonna let that sink in for a second. The eighth and twelfth picks in the NFL draft this past season, two people that have never played a snap in the NFL are paid more money based off of guaranteed at the time of their signing than Nick Chubb is. Than all but three running backs in the game are. Never played it down. There's a problem. Something's broke. There's a fly in the soup. Something isn't right. And I understand it was a weird time and a, and a different situation the, the fact that someone of Robinson's skill set and someone of Gibbs's skill set could even be taken in the top 12 is magnificent in and of itself. I remember doing a show a couple years ago. It was a night show. I remember doing a show a couple years ago, and I was making the case, and I made a wrong case clearly based off of what we saw with Robinson and, and Gibbs out of Alabama this past season, but I was making the case that we would never see a running back taken in the first round of an NFL draft ever again. I genuinely thought that's where we were going. And I'm pretty confident that was, if not the year that Nick Chubb was taken in the second round. No, it had been a couple years after that. Had been a couple years after that. Maybe it was uh, it was the pandemic year. Somewhere around there, 2020, 2021. We were already starting to have these conversations, though, about running backs and their value and how they're being decreased across the NFL. But how do we fix the issue at hand? Kickers make more money on an average basis than running backs do right now. I know they have value to the game, but would you be all right if they looked at running backs completely differently? And the hard part of this discussion is I don't think I'm their best advocate in this fight. If I was in charge of their PR, they'd fire me immediately. The way I see it is they want to be paid for a job that was more valuable to the NFL years ago than it is today. Running backs are the taxi drivers or librarians of society. The job had more value 40 years ago than it does today. Taxi drivers used to have to know the roadways by their brain. Librarians were Google before Google. All sorts of talent that they had to display. And now all of a sudden it's like, ah, yeah, okay. So uh, I want to get to 47th Street. I'm going to put that in my map. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to call up an Uber. And Uber is going to put it in their their app. And then they're going to go ahead and they're going to get me there. And I'm going to cross-reference to make sure not only do they get me there, but they're taking the right streets to make sure I don't get robbed in the process. Like, like, what are we doing here? It's insane. It's absolutely insane. 
but that's what the running back is. They were a much more valuable position, valuable skill set 40 years ago than they currently are. And now maybe I should be in their corner, considering I'm a sports talk radio host, where talk radio was definitely more valuable even 15 years ago than it is today. But the difference is that across the country, sports talk radio has never had higher ratings. The medium is doing very well for itself, despite what people want to tell you. But if one-fifth of the listeners we now have in this audience is what it is a decade from now, like let's say legitimately uh, 2033, I'm still doing sports talk radio, and I'm talking to one-fifth of the amount of people that I'm currently talking to right now, if that's the case, guess what? I don't get to ask for the same amount of money. Like No part of me gets to then go to my boss and be like, I've been here for 10 years. Do I get more of a raise? They'd be like, you have a fifth of the audience you used to. This is not how this works. The, the the position isn't, it's not as valuable as it once was. I'm sorry. You don't generate as much money as you used to. It's all about revenue. You're not bringing me in enough. Same thing with the running backs. The running backs right now, they're not generating enough. They're not giving enough on a per snap basis to separate themselves from what the other running backs across the NFL currently are, or the other positions across the NFL currently are doing. I think the real holdup that the NFL is going to have, or at least the running backs are going to have in this argument, is that there are so many people that can do that job because athletically it takes a lot to be a running back. I'm not saying it doesn't. But relative to some of the other positions on the field, it's not nearly as hard as, let's say, being a wide receiver is. Wide receiver, you got to be fast, and you also have to catch the football. Running back, you got to be fast, and then what? Have vision? To be able to make cuts, there's a lot of guys that can have vision. Being fast is the requirement. Being strong is another requirement, but everyone's strong in the NFL. Like We're talking just per NFL scales. Being a running back isn't nearly as hard as being a safety or a cornerback or a quarterback or a wide receiver. It's just not as hard. It's hard comparatively for you and me. Because we can't run four three forties, you know it's hard for me and you. But you know, speaking in NFL terms here, it's just not the most difficult thing you can do. The game has evolved. But how do we bring back to uh, bring back value to a position that currently has way too many people applying for the position and not enough people that separate themselves out the way that a Nick Chubb does, the way that a McCaffrey does, the way that a Josh Jacobs does, the way that a top running back truly does. I think it's very similar to tight end. That's why I brought up the tight end earlier. It's very similar in that respect where you got six to eight really, really good tight ends that separate themselves from the rest of the group. You got about six to eight really good running backs that separate themselves from the rest of the group and that drop off from being the seventh or eighth best running back in the NFL and the 32nd best running back in the NFL is the same drop off as the 32nd best running back in the NFL and the 100th best running back in the entire world. They're just not that much of a difference. You got a bunch of guys that go play football at a D1 level that can slot themselves in and get four yards a pop. It's just not, it's not nearly as hard as let's say what Nick Chubb is doing, getting over five yards of pop consistently every single season. There's a gap there. There's a difference. But that gap is so minimal that it makes the position then harder in return. That's the problem that the NFL currently has. So I don't think we can fix the running back money problem because I don't think we can fix the running back problem in and of itself. So they can bandy together. They can all watch a bug's life. They can all do whatever they need to do in order to convince themselves that they matter. 
But ultimately, the running back position, unless we get to a point, is the only exception I would give. If we get to a point where they draft so many players to just specifically stop guys like Patrick Mahomes, and then they don't have anybody that can stop a guy like Nick Chubb. And then a guy like Nick Chubb eventually ends up, because there's so many people geared towards stopping the pass as opposed to the run, becomes quicker, becomes faster, is able to do more, and then all of a sudden he's averaging something stupid like seven yards a carry, and there's just nothing you can do at that point. Because as we do, if we do simple math, four downs at seven yards a carry, it's a lot of first downs. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. We'll continue on with your phone calls on this, and also, I like the white helmets. I knew I wouldn't hate them, but don't let don't let a social media team bother you. I'll explain what I mean. Two one six four seven four double oh ninety two. It's overtime with Jonathan Peel here with you on the fan. It's funny. I just think to myself, I'm like, man, if we were. If we were in, like, real summer sports talk radio, I would do a whole segment on the rights and the wrongs of the movie A Bug's Life. And then I, like, was like, wait, we are in the middle of that. We, we could be doing that if we wanted to. But I don't know. This Browns conversation really has me fired up. This running back conversation does. Did you know A Bug's Life, though? A Bug's Life made $363 million in the box office. And then I was thinking about it. It came out in 1998. So, like, it, it is, it's got Jake. It's got Jake beat. Jake, Jake is, uh, he's too young for a bug's life. It's like a negative years old for him. And I it just, I kind of think that's a shame. I had no idea it was that old. I had no idea. 1998 for a bug's life. And then on its Wikipedia page, it even goes into how Ants was basically a ripoff of the whole entire thing. But Ants itself made, like, $200 million at the box office. It's also a smashing success. What a time. 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. I thought it was going to be like one of those scenarios where it's a movie that I liked as a child, and then you end up looking it up, and then it's like 42%, and like no one on Rotten Tomatoes likes it. It's a couple movies that I really, really thought were great, and then you go look up, and Rotten Tomatoes thinks they suck. I'm like, wait, I use Rotten Tomatoes to decide whether I watch every movie. How can I enjoy this movie that's like 25%? 216-474-0092. Herp, up next on the fan. Hello, Herp. How you doing, sir? Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. Long time listener, first time caller. Oh, congrats on your first call. I just want to let you know, you are definitely wrong about running back dead being more easier than a receiver. It's the reason why receivers are receiver because couldn't play running back in little league, high school, or college. You got to pass block, mm. you got to find the hole, you get hit 20, 30 times a game. Receivers can't do that. Most only run the whole route tree. Herp, so, listen, I appreciate that you are a high school running back, but you don't got to defend the position this way, Herp. <laughs> I'm just saying though, look at the top uh, running back. How many how many yards how many yards a touch did you average in high school, Herp? Eight yards a carry. Eight yards a carry? Yes. I knew there was a reason you're going to defense of the running back position. I knew I knew it. <laughs> Eight yards no, a pop. Good for you. That, it's a reason why receivers play receivers and running backs. They gotta catch the ball, Herp. Can't play running back. Catching the ball. If you can't catch the ball, you're you're Anthony Schwartz. You're nothing. If you got if your hands are made of bricks, you're nothing. But you can be a running back and just have uh, you just be really fast and have vision. Let me see you go through a hole getting hit by two. I'm not comparing it. Herp, I'm not comparing it to what I could do. I can't run down the street properly, no, okay? I'm talking about in the NFL, these running backs are seriously underpaid. Nick Chubb was the last running back to get $10 million a contract. That's crazy. No, but, but Herp, Herp, Barkley, 
I, I agree with that, but do, do you understand at least where I'm trying to come from here? Where I'm trying to come, and maybe I did a poor job explaining this, so give me a second here, and I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully I can do it right. I believe that there are so many people that can do not what Nick Chubb does. Nick Chubb is special. Saquon Barkley is special, right? There's like six to eight running backs I truly believe are special. But that group from like eight to 32, that difference between them and then 32 to 100 isn't nearly as large as people think it is. There's a lot of guys that played at, you know, Division one ball that can step on an NFL field and get four yards a pop. I'm not. I'm not arguing that at all. I'm not going to say that that's not true. But there's also a lot of receivers who can step in and become number two receivers. Most receivers we're talking about now. Christian Kirk got twenty million. He is not a number one receiver. I agree with that. He got paid big time. He did. These receivers are getting paid crazy. That's why. That's why. That's why I use him as an example. Harp. It's insane. It's insane that Kristen Kirk got twenty million, but yeah, no, I I'm with you. I just think there's. And I appreciate the phone call as always, and we're well, not as always. It's your first time, so please call in again. It was a good call. Thank you, Hart. Thank you. Have a great day. Are uh, you too? Um, yeah, no, I I just I I believe in my heart of hearts. The reason why the running back position is having such a hard time is I, I can legitimately make an argument why Atlanta shouldn't have taken B. John Robinson at number eight overall. By all accounts, B. John Robinson is going to be an absolute stud, absolute stud. And maybe because he'd be one of that six to eight, maybe we can make an exception there if he can fall into that group. But if he falls short of that, if he's one of these running backs that averages 4.3 yards a carry, it's a lot of guys in the NFL and a lot of guys out of the NFL right now that can get you 4.3, that can get you four on the nose, that can get you that, especially when you have a really good offensive line. You know, one thing we don't discuss enough because it's taboo around the Nick Chubb era. It's just, it, it's taboo, it is. I would love to know what Nick Chubb's numbers would be if he didn't have a great offensive line the way that he's had the entire time that he's been here in Cleveland. I'd love to know. I don't think it'd be that much of a hit, and I think that's why he's so special. But I think if you put most people behind what is expected to be the second best offensive line in the NFL, it's what they're currently graded out as and, and projected as, second best in all the NFL, a lot of guys off the street that can get you four, four yards a pop. Four yards a pop. Now, Jerome Ford, I'm not worried. Jerome Ford can step in and get you four yards a pop if he needs to. I'm not, there's a difference there though, but I'm not saying it's, I'm saying that's why the NFL is looking at these running backs and saying, uh, you're talented, but you're not as talented as, let's say, a left tackle. Because you can't find, left tackles don't grow on trees. There's legitimately, there's 32 starters in there, and you can argue whether or not there's 32 quality starting caliber left tackles. We argue about the current one we have all the time about whether or not he's a starting caliber left tackle. That's that's where the running back is hurt. Eight yards a pop in high school. You know, I never did much with high school football. I don't know that eight. I, I you know, it's funny in the NFL. I know, I know all the yardages. I know where you have to be. I know that five point two yards. Nick Chubb's carry is the second best running back of all time, tied with Jim Brown. Like I know these things, right? I'm very good at that. I know the uh, with receivers. I know the number you got to get to where I think you are then a good wide receiver. Used to be a thousand. Now I, I, I bumped it up a little bit. Eleven hundred is what I think is a good NFL receiving season. I know all these numbers in the NFL. I don't know any of these numbers with high school football. When I lived in Haver, Montana, so so broadcasters typically, broadcasters you're supposed to at some point, if you're starting out, have covered high school football in some capacity. I never wanted to do it. 
I never wanted to do it. I know some of you guys, especially in this area, love high school football. It is just not my jam at all. Not I, I grew up in the south side of Chicago. I went to all sorts of different uh, high school games from my high school, Brother Rice. Like, I did it. I went there. It happened. But when I turned 18, I stopped going to high school football games. And when I went to Haver, Montana, I, I remember being told, all right, part of this gig is you gotta you got to be the play-by-play announcer for, I believe they're the Haver Blue Ponies, which is just a funny nickname in and of itself. But for the uh, for Havers High School football team, you got to do the play by play. And I remember showing up, and I was like, I I don't want to do that. But I had no I you know it's my first job in radio. I had no say. I had to do what I had to do. And so I was like, I I, I really don't want to do this. Uh, one, I had no interest in play by play. I'm I'm a weird sports talk radio host, and that I've only ever wanted to do sports talk radio. I grew up wanting to be Colin Coward. I didn't grow up wanting to be Bob Costas. Big difference to people in my industry, right? Most people in my industry grow up wanting to be name your favorite play-by-play guy, Al Michaels, whoever. I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be a sports talker. And so the, the play-by-play side of thing was just not something I was ever interested in. In college, when you're supposed to be doing the play-by-play, I was doing talk shows on the fourth-rated Sports talker in St. Louis convinced their program director to give me a once a week show in exchange for running the board for them. And I did a couple different, uh, a couple different, you know, jobs on the side for them as well. And they let me do an hour a week show. And I remember at the time, you know, hundred, a thousand watt station at night, very, very, very low signal, but you got enough people out there. And I remember at the time doing a show about how I thought Colby Rasmus was an absolute bum. I mean, and I use the term bum because there was no filter when you're on the fourth-rated sports talker in St. Louis at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. But though, those were my reps. That was it. Everyone else was doing play-by-play. I'm like, I want to be on the, I want to be in the air. And so I remember going to, I did, I did one, one broadcasting game, one play-by-play game in my entire life. One. And my little brother was at a school called St. Ambrose, also on a bowling scholarship, my little brother. And, at the at, at in Kansas, his school played at the Hall of Fame Stadium, and he needed a play-by-play guy. So I did one game. I drove t- like ten hours or so to do this one game with my little brother. My little brother was the he was the color commentator. I was the play-by-play guy. I did the one game, and that was that. But in Haver, I was supposed to do a bunch of games. And I remember telling the sales guys, all these sales guys want to do play-by-play. They're, you know, 45-year-old, 50-year-old guys. They all want to do play-by-play and then sell, uh, you know, car dealership ads on the side, right? And so I was like, hey, you do, you do my, you do my play-by-play and, uh, I'll, I'll take something else off your plate. And I think I worked out doing like a voice tracking, extra voice tracking, tracking shift or something like that. And these guys loved it. They ate it up. They loved me. They're like, yeah, great. Done deal. So I had to avoid it. So I have no idea what a good number is in high school, high school football. But I think eight yards a pop sounds impressive. Johnny and Parma, he knows. Next up, yeah. hello, Johnny. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on? So randomly, Haver, Montana. I had a buddy in the army from Chinook, just down the road, and said, "Oh, you got to come see my little brother play high." It was nothing but giant bubbles. You know, left and right. And it's like, you know, like Carlos Hyde in Florida coming out of high school, right? He would put up 25 yards of carry. You know what I mean? Like, it's just hilarious with that aspect. Like, there's high school football is very, very 
a vague term, <laughs> as yeah. you know. But, but I was going to say, you know, as the league, you know, you get Justin Jefferson. Then you get Jamar Chase. Then you get pretty much Olave was on track to be Roy if he didn't have those injuries and maybe a better QB. Football is moving closer to seven. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, with penalty changes, the way the game is played, what we're looking for, Nick Chubb might have been the greatest to come into the league at the wrong time, much kind of like Dwight Howard or Andrew Bynum, minus the injuries coming into the NBA, at the worst time possible. It's just going to be a wide receivers league from here on out. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you. You got it. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate you. He's right. He's right. It's, it's the wrong time. You know, it's, it's like being a center in the NBA right now. It's the wrong time. I'm sorry. It's just, it just, uh, there's different things you can and cannot be in sports at the moment. Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox uh, would not be able to pitch in today's baseball. It, location like you wouldn't believe. Best, most accurate pitcher I've ever seen in my life. He would get, he would get shelled. It, just, it, it wouldn't work. There's certain evolutions you have in games right now and in sports. This is one of the latest evolutions you have in sports. I leave that there, but come on back. I got to get to the white helmets. I got to get to something that Nathan Zagura had to say as well. But I really do believe it is not the end of the world when it comes to letting a. I'm not going to say their name yet. You're going to have to wait and find out. But letting another fan base get on your nerves this way. It's not worth the headache. They got what they wanted. I'll explain what I mean. 216-474-0092. Fan focus coming your way at 9 o'clock. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterson here with you on the fan. Tez Seth, Sumer Analytics, going to join us at about 10 o'clock. Honda gets you. I mean, everything's just loaded up. And we got a Guardians game we got to count for at some point. Really busy, busy, busy Tuesday. I like this. 9.20, we got to talk about Ohio State and Michigan and the latest that Feinbaum had to say, as there's a little bit of a wrinkle in there as well. So we got a lot to get to, and I'm glad you guys could find us here on this Tuesday. Uh, this segment of the program brought to you by Scheibman Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. So the white helmets came out, and I thought they looked good, and I think we can all agree that they look good. I didn't hear anybody bashing it. I thought it, it basically got unanimous approval, which is very, very rare. On Twitter, I can tell you I like puppies and the sky is blue, and you'll be like, I like cats and it rain when it rains. Like it's just that's just how it works in today's society. I, I'm pretty sure we couldn't get universal approval uh, from the Supreme Court justice to say cancer is bad. It's just like it's one of those things. Today's world, it's very hard to get everyone just on the same page. But I felt like Browns fans needed and wanted this win. They just we wanted something that looked great. We wanted something that looked cool, and let's be honest, we wanted something that also looks cool to people outside of Cleveland as well. That's that's my take on this. Got to have a take. That's my take on it. Uh, Brownie the Elf looks cool to you and to me. Brownie the Elf looks really lame to everybody that isn't from here. I don't know what it is. You saw when when we put Brownie the Elf at midfield uh, of the uh, of First Energy now Cleveland Brown Stadium. The announcers are making fun of it. Ross Tucker acted like he'd never seen the thing before because Ross Tucker genuinely hadn't seen the thing before and just had a bunch of jokes on it. And it was just kind of what people did. And I, I only know, and it only sticks in my brain because you guys know I'm not from here. I'm born and raised in the south side of Chicago. Been here seven years. Got here as fast as I could. And I remember when I first got here, we have a Brownie the Elf in the studio. And it's still here to this day. I'm looking at it right now. When I do shows, a lot of the times that I do shows, I'm looking at what is a backwards image of Brownie the Elf to me because it's on the wall, but it's not faced for me. It's faced for people that are looking into the studio. 
which is also just no one ever thought that was a bad idea, but that's neither here nor there. But I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, that thing's incredibly ugly. How scary. I was like, this is, this is, that, that's, a, that's a mascot? That's, ooh, that is a scary, scary mascot. I don't love that mascot at all. And then what's funny about it is after a couple years, not only did Brownie the Elf grow on me, but then I started buying things with Brownie the Elf on it. But I do this thing, and I don't know if you guys do it as well, but when I see something new or if I'm in a new environment, I just I take that mental that mental picture of it and then what my brain is thinking at the time as well. So I, I looked I remember vividly looking at it and saying that thing is ugly. My gosh, is that an ugly mascot? And then I it just it was amazing how over time it just got less and less appalling to me, and then I got to a point where I fell in love with the stupid thing. Now it's one of my favorite mascots in all of sports. Like if you were to tell me to do a rankings, Brownie the Elf would legitimately be right up there with like the Philly fanatic. I, I, I think it's wonderful. But people that aren't from here don't know that. And people that haven't lived with that image around themselves don't know that. And so it got critically panned, and people, they ripped it, and it was what it was. Today felt nice to get a universal win, and I know we only care about what happens here with us in the 216 area code and the 440, but uh, let's just be honest about it. It was nice to get a national W. It was nice to have people across the country say, oh, yeah, wow, that white does look awesome. It'll be the first time the Browns are going to have a non-orange helmet in more than seven decades. Now, Oddly enough, I didn't see enough people making that joke of like, oh, you're the Browns, but your helmet's white. The way that we're the Browns, but our helmet is orange. Nobody made that joke. Very surprising from the social media community. Couple of things. I don't think the white helmet is set up for success, though. I think it's a weird thing we do. If things go right, there's a chance the white helmet becomes stuff of legend. But I don't think it's set up great. Now, the schedule's tough. But you're going to debut the look in week two on Monday Night Football against the Steelers. That, in my estimation, will be a win for our Cleveland Browns. I think we beat the Steelers. I, I, I think the Steelers are fine. I think Mike Tomlin always gets them to 500. I think that's all he's going to get them to, though. I think, like last year, you want to attack Pittsburgh earlier rather than later. They started the season two and six last year. I think early on is better for Pittsburgh. And so I'll take that matchup. Monday night football, under the bright lights, week two. I think the white helmet era gets off to a win. I'm doing the schedule game with white helmets, by the way. That's basically what's happening here, okay? I'm doing the schedule game with the white helmets. I think we go 1-0 and in the first white helmet game. Week six against San Francisco coming off the bye ain't great. That's tough. San Francisco is one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the best team in the NFC in my mind. It's 1 and 1A between them and the Eagles. We'll ask Tez Seth when he joins us at 10 o'clock which one he likes the most. But the NFC, in my estimation, is a two-dog, two-pony race with the same two teams that were in the NFC title game last year, 49ers, Eagles. Depends what happens with Brock Purdy, but by week six, that's a really tough matchup. No way, no doubt about it. Fantastic defense. Everyone will be healthy on San Francisco's side of the ball. That's really tough. And then week 17 is the Jets. Thursday night football. So we have two primetime games with this white helmet. And Thursday night football against the Jets, taking on Aaron Rodgers, might be a layup at that point because the Jets start off their season in such a ridiculously hard way. Maybe it's a layup. Maybe it isn't. I think we go 2-1. and one. I think we beat the Jets in week 17. 
I think we beat the Steelers in Monday Night Football in Week 2, and I think we lose Week 6 against San Francisco. So 2-1 and one would be the most ideal start. But you're telling me there's not a way that we go 0-3 in White Helmet games? I don't think it's likely. I'm just saying the White Helmet doesn't – it wasn't given the best chance to succeed. These are easy games on this schedule we could have thrown in there for the White Helmet to at least make sure that it wasn't jinxed. To make sure that people weren't like, oh, the white helmet is the reason why we lost. Which is dumb. It's not a great reason. But people sometimes people sometimes use those dumb reasons. Brown's senior vice president of marketing and media, Brent Rossi, joined Afternoon Drive earlier today. And Brent talked about the helmets, talked about how they ended up landing on the helmets. Here we go. What was important to us with this one was that there was some type of legacy associated with the helmet. And I think that's what really made it special. And I think really where our fans gravitated to it was when you look at some of those old clips um, that we sent out through our social media channel this year, some of them I've never seen before. I mean, seeing, you know, our team, that you know what Cleveland Browns are looking completely different on the field. I would had a really kind of unique tie to it. And again, something that we kind of built this story around. And as you guys know, we're going to be wearing it three times this year, starting in, you know, the biggest stage, which is Monday Night Football against the Steelers. So I cannot wait for that game. I think it's going to be amazing. All right, he went on to talk about how they actually got to the idea. And listen up, because, you know, sometimes I tell you, you guys have to demand more. You guys have to, uh, you can't have higher expectations for your Uber Eats driver than you do for some of the baseball teams, basketball teams, football teams in this city. Like, sometimes you have to have high expectations, and it puts pressure on these teams to do certain things. This is exhibit A to what I'm talking about. Here we go. The helmet will always be the primary logo, or at least within the, the foreseeable future. Um, we've never really had conversations about Brownie being primary or the dog being primary. But what that allows us to do is have fun with our brand. And as we talk about our brand and how it resonates with different audiences, that's actually how we try to position our logos. Our helmet is, is very traditional, right? And that resonates with a certain audience. The dog, you know, this year is, you know, representative of the dog pound and our rabid fan base. And then Brownie, you know, there's a lot of different stories in the history of Brownie. And he was actually with the team. I think it was like 1947. He was on a program. But shockingly, Brownie actually resonates with an older fan base and also with kind of a, a younger fan base. So that's the great thing about having, you know, these primary and secondary logos is it allows us to, you know, create stories and, and content um, around each of them that kind of speaks to a different audience. All right, that's all great. Let's go back to the idea, though, that I was talking about, the idea that uh, you have an opportunity here to really enact change, to really kind of make your voice be heard. Here we go. We started to brainstorm what the right direction was. There was this kind of social media conversation going on with our fans with bringing, you know, this white helmet back. And I think, as you guys know, we wore the helmet in the 40s and the 50s. You know, we as, a, as an organization, as, as a team, had eight championships. They were all won around that, that era. So we thought, why not, you know, kind of harken back to that era, give the fans what they want. Give the fans what they want. I love that. I love that for you guys. That's like, that's a big W. But if you ever doubt the idea that, no, they don't pay attention to what we have to say. They don't pay attention to what we want. They're 100% paying attention. They are. But this goes beyond just whether or not you get white helmets. Pay attention to the fan base. Every team does. One way or another, they do. Now, the Bengals, I thought, somehow snuck in an off-season win for their fan base by getting on the Browns case and then making a pointed attack at the Browns. Here's what I'll say to that. 
And you can go look at the Bengals' social media channel if you want. That's all good and fine. It's all it's all right there for you. The Bengals' social media team, they got a reaction, and that was the point. That's what they were going for. That's all they wanted. But the moment you get mad, it's like, you know, I watch a lot of these TikTok channels, and I, I need to tell Michael Bohm this. Bohm, you got the guitars and all this stuff, and you create all this great music, and you're doing all these covers of uh, Lana Del Rey and all these great people and being a heartthrob out there on those TikTok streets. You ever want really, really big traction? Do a Taylor Swift cover and say it's by Lana Del Rey. People love mistakes. Oh, man. They love them. They absolutely they love them. That would be so blatant, though. The comment section would get – and here's what happens. The comment section would blow up, and then because the comment section blows up, the, the TikTok algorithm doesn't understand what's happening. They just think people really like it. They don't know that they're just commenting because you made a mistake, and then all of a sudden you get a bunch of traction because that's how the algorithm works, and it's the cheat code. It's the new cheat code for TikTok. Make a blatant mistake, and then everyone pounces on it. That's what the Bengals did today. They made a blatant mistake in calling out the Browns, got a lot of Browns fans to be upset and angry, and then got it spread all throughout Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and it accomplished nothing with the exception of getting a lot of views for the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, I see the thought process here, JP, and I don't think that it's a bad idea at all. I just don't know if I want to deal with that crossfire of two of the most passionate Crazy fan bases out there right now. It's how the algorithm works, man. Got to play the algorithm sometimes. Oh, I feel like I'd be selling my soul for that. I saw, I saw this, uh, this company was genius, genius idea by them. They, they had this, uh, it was a banner company on TikTok and they were trying to sell it. It's like for 40 bucks, we'll create any banner you want and we'll send it to anywhere in the country. We're as cheap as it gets. And then on the banner, they just made a simple typo, a simple mistake. Instead of it saying like, we are the lions or something to promote a high school, it said like, we are T-E-H lions. And so then people are like, wait, you're advertising with this mistake because so many people are just there. They had to call it out because we as humans can't help but call out mistakes. And then the algorithm thinks that it's hot. They think that so many people are like really fired up about this. This They don't know what the, the content is. It's an easy way to do it. That's all the Bengals did today. That's all they did. That's all they accomplished. They got every Browns fan hot and bothered about the idea that we stole their uniforms. We didn't steal their uniforms. We didn't steal the uniforms. But that's the algorithms don't know the difference. And so then it got spread everywhere. And the Bengals fans then, they wrongly take a victory lap because they don't know any better. And it was just a complete bleep show the entire day. So, yeah, don't feel bad about it. Don't let, don't let their social media team get to you. All right, leave that there. We come on back. We got the fan focus. We got off the beaten path in the 9 o'clock hour. We got to get a Buckeyes conversation in as well. It's overtime with Jonathan Beetle here with you in the fan. 